Hey guys, Vogon here. First of all, apologies for the lack of episodes last month, but I went through some charged work weeks. And between that, some worse days regarding my mental status and regular life stuffs like spending time with my daughter, I did not have the time to edit and post. To make it worse, I stepped into another rabbit hole. This time, 3D printing, and have been having a lot of fun with it. Little did I know that it's another time and attention pit. Secondly, you may notice some clicks in my audio this episode. I tried my best to clean it, but it's unavoidable and would not be fair to not publish the episode or try to re-record it. The way our episodes go, you cannot really do them again, as so much is based on the conversation. On that note, to everyone that is considering doing any type of content that has a personal advice, you should always post your creations no matter what. If you are going to be too critical, you will never post anything, as there is always something to improve. So please, excuse me again for that. Now, this episode we have a member of the Splurgo community yet again. Tom is a member of the UK community with good connections to the Japanese split scene and loves to help everyone with their building woes. He has one of the biggest split keyboard collections that I personally know and is always available to help when we have questions. So, without further ado, on with the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Talk, a podcast about the mechanical keyboard hobby and what makes it flux. My guest this episode is a mechanical keyboard enthusiast that is a builder, a tinkerer, a firmware wizard, as well as someone that saves lives when he's not doing keyboards. Tom, welcome to The Talk. Hi. Thank you so much for joining, man. I really appreciate you, you being here. That's cool. Thanks for having me. First one that we always do to everyone in the show, you know, it's a cheesy one, but it is what it is. So what got you? into the mechanical keyboard hobby to start with? It's uh, it's quite a long story. Um, so my hobby space, my outlet, my creative space has always been electronics, uh, soldering stuff. Um, I started out making Nixie clocks, um, audio toys, synthesizers, um, I developed quite a good relationship with a British maker company called Pi Maroney. Uh, and uh, a few years ago, they released something called the Kibo, which was a Raspberry Pi powered macro pad that used mechanical switches. Now, I had before that always used, uh, you know, Apple Mac low-profile keyboards. Those fantastic. Those wonderful devices that I now loathe. Um, And yeah, they were that that one macro pad was my introduction into mechanical switches. Um, From there, I sort of cast the net around for things to, to build. Um, And the first, the first thing I ever built was a let's split. (laughs) We're going to go there because obviously you're one of those. Yes, I'm one of those, <laughs> if not the one of those, I yes. suppose. But, but, but it's funny because it, it's the first time that I see someone that actually does not start with an actual keyboard, but like with a macro pad or something like that on the introduction to, yeah. to the mechanical side and to the mechanical switches, which is curious, right? Now, so from that little macro pad, and you were saying that you, you did a last bit, but when did you realize yourself that you had taken that red pill? And that you were really, really into the rabbit hole. I think probably after my third corn keyboard oh, build. Third corn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, I'm sure a few listeners will be familiar with the corn with its um, horrible RGB LEDs that you have to solder and bridge. Yes, um, yes, we all are very familiar with it. It took me a few goes to get that right. Um, it definitely, definitely took me a few goes before I got comfortable with it. And I had to get it right. I had to get it working. Um, and it's kind of led to where I am now in the, I guess, in the community in terms of the support that I offer people. Yeah. Um, I was, I was clearing out my, my um photo library last night 
um, going through pictures of zoomed in PCBs with solder bridges and repair wires and zoomed in pictures of PCB design software to show where traces go that people have broken. Um, <laughs> the building, the building though really was, was my, was my outlet for the longest time. And, you know, I built up a, a, a good relationship with MechBoards UK and pretty much bought one of every kit that they had and built them in quite quick order. Yeah. Um, I realized that I'd kind of expended what they had to offer. Sort of discovered the wider community that was going on in, in America, um, in Japan, um, and sort of spread my wings a bit at that point. So what are you currently typing on then? What is your, the, you know, and me knowing that you have a lot of them, but what are you currently typing on? I haven't rotated for a while. Um, I've been recovering from a wrist injury. Um, I had surgery about five weeks ago. Um, my daily driver for the longest time has been a Gogaplex Heavy, which is a, a 36 key split that uses chock switches, low profile switches. Um, those switches are 12 grams. <laughs> so you're, yeah, like I joked on the other, on the episode we always have, you, you just breathe on them and you write. You don't need yeah. to use your hands, right? That's Yeah, exactly. They are, they're really, they're really hard to get used to, but when you get there, they ruin nearly everything else. When I started building, I, I always used to favor heavy clicky switches. Most of my early builds have kale box uh, jades or box navies and um you found out that you're now now gravitating more to the lighter switch i can't the... i can't type on them anymore it's I, funny I... yeah it's <laughs> funny isn't it you know i i like light switches as well and uh and i find that it's just a question of of getting used to them you know if, if you if you start using something more heavier then after mm. maybe a week or two you get used to it but but i started you know enjoying lighter switches more and then it was actually what I was going to ask you on those 12, 12 grams that do you find now that even a 45 gram is too heavy? Yeah, I mean, I, I still, I still do MX builds. Um, I, most of the, most of the time now I'm just exploring and trying new switches. Um, I will confess that I've gotten completely lost and absorbed into Thurman Goat's um, switch reviews. And, um, <laughs> As everyone, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, I never, I never used to obsess about it that much. And I used to be adamantly anti-lubrication; just use them as the manufacturer meant you to use them. But um, yeah, I'm just keeping my horizons open on that front. So the next question that we have in our um in our regular questions, I think we all know, but do you even small? So mm. what is your favorite form factor in the end from all of those that you use? The most comfortable form factor I enjoy is a split thirty six, so a split forty, I guess you would categorize it in. Um the corn is probably my my favorite um long term um mm -hmm. overall in terms of its versatility you can snap it down to 36 key or keep it at 42 um but, yeah, so, but do, you, do you prefer to cut it down to 36 than the 30 yeah absolutely yeah um so yeah 36 key split just about the smallest i feel you can go um i'm sure some of my split ergo friends would say you've got two or four keys too many <laughs> <laughs> yes but uh, we all joke and say that you guys are we know <laughs> are a bit different I, I won't say anything else i'll just say that you guys are a bit different that you decide to uh, you know the less keys that you can use the better but that's yeah, yeah. that's how you guys are but that's okay um the other question obviously i don't know if it really applies that much into this side of the hobby but do you like them stiff or do you like them wiggly? It's an interesting one. I get 
a lot of questions from um from new new guys to the hobby or people you know branching out into splits what what plate is going to be best for my small keyboard uh, it doesn't make as much of a difference um what we what we don't see much of is the premium case mounting styles we're starting to see some come through uh from some of the you know the asian korean and japanese design houses they're starting to produce gasket mount cases but on a small ergo board it doesn't make so much difference um if i was pressed for an answer yeah stiff and and firm you know if you're bottoming out on 12 gram switches all the time that's that's what you need really yeah yeah ergo what bruv so what are the limits of ergonomics? We already, said, we already said 36, but I know that you you even go lesser than that, right? Yeah. I know that you go 10 keys and stuff like that, five keys on each end, which is crazy. But, you know, what, what would you say is the limit that you would be comfortable <laughs> enough using and that you can use all day? Um, so one of the newer things that I've uh, been trying out recently, especially with this hand injury is uh it's similar to what obasob talked about with the Ginny, um so cording keyboards um there's a there's one called there's a there's a, a theory called artsy um a-r-t-s-e-y which you can get as low as six keys with and get a full alphabet and character set out from of. six keys yeah yeah um <laughs> Well, but, but, but I understand, probably made for, um, you know, and I saw you have a Maelstrom as well, so basically stuff that is made for just one hand, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I, I've i become, I don't know why, but I've become quite interested in the weird and unusual sort of one-handed adaptive stuff, probably because probably of this injury, but a bit before that as well. Mm -hmm. um, so one of my, one of my, more asked about keyboards is my Moltron left-hander. Yeah. Um, and I know we've seen videos from Parasan on them and so on, but um, it's it's an interesting bit of kit. Um, one of my side projects at the moment is working on a, a modern 3D printed version of that with less keys because actually the Moltron is, is pretty much uh, a 75% in terms of its number of keys and stuff. Yeah, correct. Um, From what I saw on pictures, it's a bit big. Right? It's huge. It's yeah, huge. Yeah, you know? yeah. it, it's, it's the size of a dinner plate and bigger. Um, yeah. But yeah, like exploring these one-handed techniques is, is interesting, and it, it definitely exercises the brain a bit. But explain me, as an example, on one of those, like with six keys for the whole alphabet, and mm. you spoke about cording, and you know, mm. I can also probably relate a bit in terms of the Gini that you have more. Yeah, How can yeah. you make all of those keys from uh, six one six in terms of cording? Because I, I personally, I'm not seeing the, the the actual you know amount of combinations that could be possible. Um, I would I, I would struggle to explain it. Partly probably because I'm still learning. the The six key system is is definitely harder to learn um, in terms of the positions you have to get into. It's kind of like playing guitar in terms of learning learning those chord patterns as well. So you know, learning a C chord and a guitar, G chords, um, it's the same sort of learning exercise that you go through, just sort of repetitive drills and so on. Yeah, until it um, gets really drilled into your mind. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, there's a there's a few of us that have been testing and 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 um, using it. Um, in the UK and in America, um, and, you know the guy, the guy, the the guy that designed it, whose screen name is Why Do Bears Explode? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he he's up to you know eighty words a minute with it. He goes cycling Jesus. and he messages from his bike with it. <laughs> it's nuts. It's nuts. But yeah, that's that's my limit. Yeah, I would say that, uh, and that's not a really that uh, easy limit to get to, to be honest, uh, at least uh, on my point of view. But hey, 
<laughs> one of the things that uh, again uh, going to, to to the to the questions more directly to you, but uh, obviously you already spoke about, and uh, we know that you are someone that likes to build mm. and tinker. You already explained a bit um, that you that you came from that you know Nixies and, yeah, and yeah. Uh, synth side. Is it something that you really enjoy? Is that that hardware part of it? Would you say that this is the thing that actually makes it more enjoyable for you on the hobby instead of just the keyboards themselves but the actual building aspect of it at the core of it if you if you shut me in a room with some music to listen to and endless keyboard kits to solder <laughs> some good solder a good yes. soldering iron. always yes please good solder I, as always I'd, yes i'd be there i i the the absolute core of enjoyment of this hobby for me is is putting this stuff together which is yeah but i agree you know it's so gratifying isn't it it's something yeah. that gives you such uh you know it's not uh that's what that's uh what i got from the hobby as well is that you know you build and that's why i also buy a lot of those kits because yeah. you just build one and that's it then you go like i want to build another one right? but equally i get uh, without sounding odd, I get a tremendous amount of satisfaction from helping people get their get their board working. Um, you know, even if it's not something that's in my area of expertise, you know, bigger rectangular boards and so on. Um, and in fact, you know, our first encounter, Vagon, when when we met at Bristol. Yes, we. Our, our first encounter was was me, um, trying to help, trying to help fix a board. Um, and again, I, we spoke about uh, you know, always uh, mentioned that on the episode. But uh, for you guys <laughs> that uh, that are not aware, and for the listeners, was basically a board that um, Tom was able to to without any specific, um, you know, no flux, anything was able to to solder a, a circuit. Onto the board again and reflux all that solder with a with just a, a regular <laughs> iron, not even a temperature controlled iron, in the middle of a of a of a keyboard meetup. So yes, so <laughs> to be honest, you know, it's one of the tips I got from you. You know, go, use good solder. That's the yeah, thing yeah. that basically you know I tell everyone. If everyone wants, oh, what should I look for in terms of of that? Uh, I always say, look, good solder. It could be odd that you're looking at the price of solder and think that you know it's too expensive. It's totally worth it. You know the Absolutely. headache that it that it it removes and the, the easiest that it makes things. That's yeah, yeah. definitely what it is, right? Yeah, yeah, it's one of my one of my one of my points that I always try and educate people on. Yeah, with your extensive extensive collection and the experience that you have building. Uh, and as you mentioned, you do building services with uh, MacBoards UK. So if if people are not 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 aware, but uh, Tom also builds uh, for MacBoard UK. So when you go into MacBoards UK and you order a corn and you want building services, most likely will be Tom that builds them. Do you, do you have any nightmare story of something that really really went wrong that you hated building something like that? Yours or you know third party that you really really didn't enjoy? Uh, it kind of comes back to the corn again. Oh, the, um, yeah, the fated <laughs> corns. And yeah, I also, I, I also have I, a story to tell about that after. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I keep a tally of how many I've built. Um, I've, apparently, my record book says that I've done 112 corn keyboards, <laughs> but there's always one that stands out, um, and I think it was. A bad batch of LEDs, and uh, yeah, we know how bad those LEDs are to put together, and um, having to do every single one of those LEDs three times, three uh, times, Jesus Christ, to get it yeah. just right. And this this was for a customer. This was not long after I'd started doing builds for Mac boards. I'd I sort of earned their trust and. Been, sh been showing them my personal builds and one of the first builds they send me to, to send to a customer I just cannot get working um, it doesn't even power on everything buzzes out okay with the multimeter everything flashes okay it just doesn't power on 
and I ended up having to desolder and resolder um, the LEDs, yeah, three times before I realised I had a bad batch of LEDs that were all internally shorted. Oof. Because mine was on my experience, and uh, guys, if you you know, I think I I don't know if I mentioned this on the on the on the podcast before, but I had the the experience. One of the my experiences with the corn was that you know I turn it on, um, you know I solder it all with the LEDs, everything. I plug it in, and nothing happens, and it starts getting really hot. The the the, the USB, and I messaged Tom saying, "Hey, you know, I'm having this issue," and I showed him the picture, and Tom just answered, "Oh." And I went like, okay, that's not a good sign. And I had soldered all of the LEDs inverted. So yeah, obviously it was everything was shorting, right? Now they're doing different, right? Now now even corns they have the the LEDs or are the LEDs that have the little legs now? Yeah, so V three uh, version three now has better LEDs, and we're actually we're actually getting to the point now where the it's being provided pre-soldered, um, and soon, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, um, MacBoards are looking to be selling one that requires no soldering at all. Oh, um, nice, nice. Uh, onboard Hot controller, um, designed by one of the guys in the UK community, Elliot. Oh, cool, cool. Even the even the controller is going to be hot Everything. swap. That's not nice. even not even hot swap onboard PCBA. Really cool. Oh, on board. Nice. Nice. Really yeah. nice. Yeah. Really big leap forward. Yeah. It's yeah. really that, cool. That's going to be cool. Yeah. Because again, corns, you know, I see that a lot of people go and gravitate towards corns as they do with the, with the lilies. Right. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that there's the, the thing about building them, which is a bit of a pain, but it's also a very good experience, to be honest. That's yeah. one of the things I enjoy. Yeah. I've got a stack of things to build that has been piling up over the last few weeks. Yeah, because of your hand now, right? Yeah, That's... yeah. No less than six, I think, six new kits to try out. Oh, cool. Cool or not, forms. depends if you look at how you look at it, right? It's, it'll keep me occupied. It's been, yeah, it's been frustrating. Now, question. With, um, and again, we, we have to go back to the split world and, yeah. um, you know, I know from uh, from our other uh, split political representative that was on the show, Obasab, that um, you know you um, you are very familiar with the uh, with the Asian split, and you already mentioned right with the yeah. Asian split community. So um, maybe for us Westerners that are not familiar, would you like to speak a bit about it? How do they differ from the Western one, and you know what are the what would you say are the biggest differences between both communities and both sides? of them it's yeah it's a really interesting comparison um so yeah as i said early early on in my discovery of self-made keyboards um i discovered some of the japanese designers uh like fustan who is the guy who designed the corn um and people like sekigon gonok um who is the guy that has just endless crazy really cool inventions related to mechanical keyboards um gonok was one of the first guys to come up with a, a drop-in wireless microcontroller um and he's even been working on using topre switches or topre domes Oof. um in boards like the corn and the lily uh, which is a bit of a when it comes to split ergos, getting EC or Topo switches in them is a bit of a holy grail for some of us. Um, mm-hmm. Because of yeah. the because of the way that uh, that the technology works, right? Because exactly. of the difference that that the the plate and the the contacts yeah. work, right? Exactly. Yeah, but it's in some ways it's a very it's a very different way to look out. They have um, the Japanese designers in my perception at least and i'm i will say i'm not a japanese speaker i've I've managed to gather just about enough to read it um curious Mm. um but mostly just running everything through translation um 
I'm looking at the pictures. Yes, it's <laughs> always the pictures. But question for you: Would do you do you see that they they are are they? And you were saying that you know they they come up with with new ideas. Do you, would you say that they're more um, they're more out there and outrageous on their their ideas of trying out new stuff? Or, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, what what would what would you say? Why would you? Or maybe I, I need to ask this a different way. But why would that? side of of the hobby be more into split keyboards and i'm saying this maybe it's totally wrong and the western side is also as much into but from what i understand they're much more into the split side and to the ergo side that that we are in in the west what what would you think that it makes them more into it i i don't know um the, the sort of impression i get is that there's a a competitive sort of showmanship side to it i see yeah um they they often even pre-covid had uh, virtual meetups on twitter exhibiting their work and they go they go all out you know they do whole boards worth of custom keycap profiles they will they will spend hundreds and thousands on custom materials um new manufacturing techniques and these boards are next to impossible to get to buy on the western market um yeah which to me as a collector is tantalizing and <laughs> of course it, it's difficult you know buying from japan you can use uh, a, diff a number of different services to to reship stuff um, but it's complicated. Um, most of the designers don't tend to open source their work completely, um, mm -hmm. so they will they will partially open source their work, which makes it it, it does make the corn quite a strange beast because it has proliferated so much. You know, you will find stores selling corn kits. Uh, all over the world, really. Yeah, which is very curious. Yeah, uh, but I think it's one of the few, right? That you can. Yeah, I mean the, the the sort of the design lineage comes from a board called Helix, which was an ortho split, and the Ergodox, which was a weird thing with massive thumb clusters. Um, <laughs> um, and then they spawned a whole load of other boards like the Lily. Um, uh, the Reveillon series and so on. Um, and those are the ones that we see. Those are the ones that sort of have managed to get into the Western market that we that we live in. And they're really cool. Um, but it's it, it, it's just, a, it's a difficult, difficult to break into the more niche side of the, the Japanese market for sure, because it is it's closed off, it's difficult to buy from as a, an international customer. But do you feel that they close it off on purpose or is it just because of the situation, you know, the, the buying from Japan? That is difficult. And I obviously think, they I think, would... I think that's just how it is, really. Yeah, just okay. So, you know, I, I followed with interest the um, the Alex 40 um, group by, I think, Jay and a few other UK guys received um, received one. Um, and that's maybe, dare I say it, for a, a board that's made of um, cast, cast acrylic. Yeah. It's that's slightly more mainstream than the majority of the Japanese boards that I look at, look at, and covet on a daily basis. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it, it just seems to be a, a slightly different way to the way that we look at things so then as an example so if i want to buy something like that do you, how would you do it you would go to directly to that to that you know to the creator that puts it on a group buy but although it's in japan and on their you know website there's a website that you can go to how it works with them compared to us because we always are used now that uh, vendors you know do group buys but we, you, ne you almost never see something like that on on these type of boards so is it very limited runs that they do and it's almost exactly. all Twitter based or exactly. So sort of the closed 
almost like closed group buys, regional regional group buys, um, buying through local services like Booth um, Booth PM, which is one of the websites. It's a bit like it's a bit like Tindy or Etsy mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for electronic stuff. Okay, got it. Speaking of electronics, right? We need to talk about something else that uh, that you already mentioned at the start, and that I know that is one of your also big passions, which is Sense. And I know that you build a lot of modules yourself. Uh, how did you get involved? So, did you get involved with that first before going into keyboards? To to an extent, um, uh, I've always been obsessed with electronic things that make noise, make funny sounds. Um, uh, bleeps and bloops, laser gun noises. Yep. Um, and and yeah, so and it a lot of it comes from the joy of soldering, having something that you've soldered that that produces something that has an output. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways, uh, you know, do do since have there's a lot of parallels. With, with the keyboard world in terms of, you know, you have pre-made stuff and you have DIY stuff. Um, you have people doing modifications and, and so on. I, I, I'm I not into sitting down and making and recording music. I I will sit and, for the benefit of my myself and myself only, make weird tunes, make jams up, just make my sense make crazy noises and plug everything into everything else um it's you know i've i've talked to others in the the keyboard community like lewis flood and um and rudy and so on um about it and they're like where's your sound where's your sound cloud where's your band camp and like I don't yeah. have one. <laughs> I don't have one. I just like building the modules and making noises. <laughs> so yeah, so same thing as keyboard. So basically what you like is you 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 solder it all, you build it, you put it in the in the rack and then you use it for a while and that's it. And then exactly. you need to buy a new one or, or create a new one, right? That's... Exactly. Although the the space for synthesizers is a bit smaller than the space for keyboards. Yes, I know your your New York collection. <laughs> And guys, if you're not familiar, then uh, on the show notes I'll put some pictures of of uh, of uh, Tom's collection. But yeah, but uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say maybe that it's one of the biggest in the world, but it's definitely the biggest uh, split collection that I've seen myself live. And, and uh, the benefit of collecting split keyboards is that they're quite small, and you can stack them up. The yeah, same. I saw your bag of keyboards that you brought to the meetup. So yeah, uh, the infamous, the infamous yeah. hockey bag. Correct, okay. guys. It's a hockey bag full of keyboards. So if you, I don't know if you're f- familiar with the size of a hockey bag, but that's how it is. It's a hockey bag full of split keyboards. So it's not even that they're all sixty percent or seventy-five percent. No, they're much more than that, and it's a bag full of them. So yeah. For the longest, for the longest time, I before the um, COVID stuff and London, the London meetup got called off. I was. I was really worried about how to transport my split keyboards. Um, uh, you know, the cool, the really, the, the cool thing about them is that compared to a big, you know, five kilo metal behemoth TKL or whatever, you can stack them. You know, you can wrap them in a tea towel, and that's that is yeah. literally all you need to do. Speaking um, of speaking of the behemoth, you do have um, what's the name the the old uh, the the new version of the old uh, oh the hyper seven the hyper seven you do have one right yeah yeah. Um, yeah I got I I joined in on the group buy for that one um, is it is it an, how how many stabs does that thing take it's a it's crazy isn't it I I think, I, I think it's about thirty. <laughs> <new> stabilizers. <laughs> Although my my one is just using um, POS keycaps on the top. Okay, good. But it's so. using two hundred gram modded box navies. Two hundred gram. Yeah. So okay. I was being silly with that one. 
<laughs> yeah. But, um, definitely, definitely. Um, it's a showpiece keyboard, that one. Yeah. But I, I think it, a, a lot of them are, right? That, that's what I, what I, what I find. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I don't, I tend to go for function over form. Um, the, the Gboard's heavy range of keyboards are like laser cut raw steel, um, split ergos. Um, they look epic. They weigh an absolute ton and they could be potentially considered as offensive weapons. <laughs> the, my, the daily driver, the Gergaplex that I use, it's, it's rusted. It's patinaed really nicely. It's got prototype keycaps on it and it looks battered. It looks like a sort of, dare I say, it, like a Fallout type keyboard. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. I, I, it's funny um, that you don't see, you know, it's it's something that I, you you obviously end up uh, looking at those things a lot in, in, uh, in movies and stuff that they when, especially space movies, you know, that the, what keyboards are they using or something like that. But it's very curious that you don't see them using ergo boards. They use much more regular keyboards, but I would say that, you know, for a future type, you know, if you want to do a futuristic thing, that one of those would be probably different looking than actually a regular keyboard. I don't know. But yeah. it's either touchscreen or regular keyboards, old, huge. There's a, lot, there's a lot of us in the, the ergo world and firmware world <laughs> looked at the, the keyboards in Cyberpunk. Um, and yeah, somebody's somebody is apparently working on reproducing the the twin stack keyboard from Cyberpunk, which is, <laughs> which is a mix. It's it's almost about the same size as Hyper Seven, I think. Cool. <laughs> now, another thing I wanted to touch on, and for people that are not familiar with, but uh, you know, there's another side of Tom that is uh, his A and E work. A and E, if you guys are not uh, familiar on your country, basically emergency services. Uh, big respect. That first of all, big respect from my side on 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 anyone that works on that front because I would never be able to do that. And I think that you need to have a specific, uh, you know, mindset to work on the on that uh, on that side and sometimes see see the things that you see and then helping people is very 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 important. I think that. You know, a big shout out to you on that. Uh, but can you tell us a bit how how did you get involved on it, and um, you know, and how can how, how does someone that is involved on that side and on you know on A and E and NHS etc. is actually you know a keyboard and synth enthusiast and which is seems so different in terms of of of, uh, of ideas, right? Um. So yeah, I'm uh, an A and E doctor, an emergency, emergency medicine doctor. I I was uh, an army doctor, okay, for quite a long time. I did um, about ten years of regular service in the in the British Army. Um, split between looking after regiments and going on deployments, going on operations. Um, you were in a in the in the actual front, right? In yeah. So um, I did an Afghanistan deployment in in two thousand and twelve um, as an operational tour. Um, spent seven months in the country. Um, learned a heck of a lot about my myself. Um, yeah, I'm sure. My self self resilience and and so on and so forth. Um, I I came back and um yeah I moved into hospital medicine I was very interested in intensive care medicine and so on and then um I got a bit ill I had a number of medical conditions going on hospital admissions um and also I got very depressed um suffered with quite bad post-traumatic stress yeah from there yeah. not no well not it's a bit of an odd one people make the link oh you were in the army 
No, exactly. Would, which the, would be typical, but not because of that? No, the PTSD was, was more because of home things that had happened um, around the, the, sort of the time of the, the birth of my first daughter. And so Got it. But yeah, I ended up leaving the army on, on mental health grounds, um, along with some of the physical things, and then sort of moving sideways into an NHS job really seamlessly and um, settling down in, in Portsmouth where I am now. And yeah, I've been there for the last few years working comfortably. But did you did you immediately go to A and E, or did you go first for another side of NHS, and then you decided to go on A and E, or or did you go yeah. directly to A and E? A and E was A and E was the sort of natural gravitation for me. It was where I moved to that sort of fitted my my attention span short, my 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 love for doing things with my hands, practical procedures, yeah, and um, yeah. Um, the sort of fast pace, high acuity stuff. It's curious, you know. I like I was saying, man. I, I think that it's it very respectful because I would say that it's probably one of the most stressful things to do. You know, it's not like a regular doctor that goes like, "Oh, you know, here is some prescription drugs because you have a cold." No, you guys do. You guys attend to a lot of, again, emergency situations. You'd be surprised. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of the former, but there's a lot of there's a lot of worried well and and so on. But yeah, Portsmouth, the area I live in, is 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 quite deprived. The sort of community health background is is not good. There's a lot of chronic illness and so on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the I the the job that I do mostly involves high stress. Um. And thinking on the go, um, and having talked to my colleagues and my my medical peers, not many of them have a hobby that is quite as out there. Yeah, as, it's quite all, disparate it's, from what exactly. what you guys do, right, and in day to day. I know a lot of people that are triathletes or. You know that, and you know they do some sort of fitness, um, some sort of type of fitness. Um, my my wife is is also a doctor, and she's, uh, dare I say, it, an extreme fabric crafter. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine her face just listening. But yeah, she works with. She's got a, a collection of sewing machines that. I think weighs about the same as my keyboard collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but she uses them all. She makes fantastic stuff. Um, but again, it, it seems to be unusual for people in hospital field, hospital work, medical work to have such a disparate sort of hobby background. But to me, it's important that it's different. Yeah, so that it, it gets you out. Of the the headspace that you get into for for work, um, and yeah, Fran with her fabric work, it's the same sort of thing. Getting getting yourself away from work it is really important. And it's I, very I, curious, I, right? I know it's... a lot of a lot of people have been working from from home and stuff, but um, you know, so have I with my wrist injury. But having decompression time is something that building and putting stuff together is is really good for helping with you know it's very funny because it's one of the things that um you know not not directly related to keyboards but it's one of the things that when you have depression or something like that that doctors tend to to tell you is to have something um uh, some hobby in terms of arts and crafts that you yeah. build something yourself that you do something yourself because this is first of all something that puts you into that mindset while you're doing it you're not thinking about anything else you're just concentrating on that but also very gratifying because you see something being built doesn't matter what it is it could be a table and in wood could be a keyboard but it's something that you do yourself and that you see and at the end there's a finished product that works and that that you did 
right? And I find it's yeah. for me the most gratifying thing about building keyboards is that is that you get at the end, you know. Uh, I was telling you before in you know off uh, of the episode mm-hmm. that I have um, a gingham to to build. I I built a, yeah, yeah. a discipline, and they might be very scary to do, but at the same time they're so gratifying when they're done, right? Because all of the little work that you did, all the little diodes and stuff that you had to solder, but when it's done, that thing gives you, you know, you look at it and said, you know, I made this. This is there because I built it, right? Yeah. So, And, you know, as you, as you get get on in the hobby, there's, there's different challenges to face on the, on the DIY side. And, um, you know, for me, that hobby is doing PCB design now um, and, and then building surface mount work and, and getting into that side of it, which is, is cool. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very funny transition, right? Which is, um, you know, when you, you... I remember my first experience soldering and feeling that this is, uh, you know, I ne- had never soldered in, in my life, so it was something that looked very daunting. And as you get comfortable, you then get... You start get pushing yourself and going like, no, you know what? I'm going to do a, a discipline. And, you know, or I'm going to do a split with diodes. And first you use the leg diodes. And now, and then after that, you go like, no, no, you know what? I'm going to start using SMD diodes. And you start pushing yourself to get, uh, I, I'm still not at the level of, of Tom here, soldering a full controller onto a board, but I'll get there. But I think that, you know, you get, you push yourself. And the more you push and the more you do, you mo- the more you realize how simple between this between brackets obviously but how simple it is because it is not that hard in the end you know i think that a lot of people like like to to say that it's hard it's not hard especially a regular keyboard with just regular pins to solder it's not hard at all it's just a technique that you need to learn that's it yeah right um, as you know, as we said a couple of times i'm a, a real advocate of getting people soldering getting people moving away from relying on a hot swap where they can um, yeah because it opens up a lot of a lot of options for you and a lot of a lot of possibilities which is really cool and obviously you can also you know you, you can always have a hot swap because if you want a hot swap because you want to try out switches etc you can do as i did at the beginning which is to get just a you know a simple uh the whatever 60 you know, one of those cheap 40 yeah, yeah. pound, uh, you know, hot swap 60% uh, that you can try switches on and you can use it. And uh, and then for for your other boards, then you can actually do um, soldering, which, you know, I know that the issue with soldering is then when you want to desolder, but then you learn how to desolder as well, which is, you know, as easy as or, although it's a bit more of a pain if you don't have the proper tools, but that's another yeah. story, right? Yeah. Right, Mr. Tom, last questions of the podcast. If you'd like to, you know, if you could change something in the keyboard hobby today, what would that be? I I had a really, really big think about this. Um, and, you know, I could go off on tirades about group biculture and, and so on. Um, I... I don't know. I struggle to answer that. I, <laughs> I, I had a really good think about this. Um, I think I'm going to start this answer again. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, I, I, the great majority of my boards have been built from in-stock kits or from ordering stuff off of a PCB manufacturer and component suppliers. And I appreciate the majority of my boards don't have a um you know a, a custom machined case or you know something that's been milled out of polycarbonate. Um I I I do I struggle with some of the group by mentality and you know I know you've talked about flipping before and, and so on and so forth. Um, if there was one thing I could change, it was it's it's how group buys were administered and how they work and how they affect people. 
and the fallout they have on the aftermarket community and so on. Yeah. Do you, would you say that this is actually something that we create ourselves in the hobby? You know, because again, we are the ones that then spend triple the amount of the board because we want it. You know, uh, we normally joke and say, especially with regards to flipping, that we can fix that very easily. If no one buys it at that price, that's yeah. it. Pe things would, would be cheaper than when they were. It's just a question that we, you know, sort of auto inf auto inflict that on us, right, as a community. Yeah, it, it's tricky, isn't it? it? It it will happen because there is a, a demand for it. Um, it's, it's nice starting to see vendors offering... Uh, pre-sales for group by extras and so on yeah and, you know and hardware hardware group buys that are a group buy that happens prior to an item moving to an in-stock um, status so one of the vendors I work with in America board source um, their their last two group buys and their current group buy have all been sort of pre-orders, um, almost like Kickstarters. So yeah. group buying for a, a set of boards that get the product going and then remanufacturing it and remanufacturing it and remanufacturing it so it's it's actually in stock. Is. Yeah, I think I think we probably would benefit with something like that instead of being a group buy of here it is, this is the amount of boards we want to make and if we don't sell we don't do it go more into a situation of you know this is the initial investment that we need to keep on you know yeah. on feeding it, itself and keep on it, working on it it's difficult you know even in my little niche of the hobby with with odd you know with odd keycaps for low profile switches and so on we still we're still coming across still come across issues with with the aftermarket stuff um really it's, it's a with difficult it's a difficult problem it's a difficult problem to solve um, yeah and i don't have a good answer for it it's funny because one of the things i would think especially like you were saying on the keycaps for let's say chalk switches stuff like that which yeah, is yeah. very very much from what i see chalk is really used in the in the ergo world much more than it is on a regular yeah, keyboard no yeah. one would probably do a 60 percent with chalk switches right um, I would think that, you know, it's more because, or that the lack of availability is because there's not that much, you know, need out there. But I would say that you guys that use it, everyone would get much more into it because you, especially, precisely that, you don't have that much stuff to do, you know, that much quantity of products like that. So anytime you, anytime you have a, a new product like that, that all of you guys would then get into it because... Again, like we started on the regular, and there's no regular here, but you know the the mere mortal common keyboard layouts, let's say, or cherry, or uh, you know GMK uh, keycaps. But maybe at the beginning, when the when the hobby started, everyone would get into a group buy because this was something that was not common. Yeah. I would say that you guys also get into those. And I saw I was I almost bought the 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 keycaps for for the chalk profile but then yeah. i thought you know i'm not not really going to use it that much so yeah would you say that it, then that is flipped as well it's it's trickier i i'm i'm not the right person to ask about selling stuff on um i think pretty much the only keyboards i've ever sold have been things that i didn't want in my collection so Dare I say it? Norm, normie boards, sixties, um, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, and so on and so forth. So you currently do not use any keyboard that is not a split or some totally <laughs> different type of of layout. I I had to drag I had to drag a Texioda out uh, for the first couple of weeks after my operation because I couldn't. I couldn't use a keyboard well enough yeah. to, to code my firmware to use my normal board with one hand. Um, <laughs> I hadn't 
and I haven't learned the one-handed methods we talked about well enough yeah, um, yeah. to do that. So I was back to hunting and pecking with one hand on a a 60%, which conveniently has a, a tracking device, a, a, a track point yeah, yeah, built yeah. into it. Um, That's cool. But yeah, I... I, I, I there, there are rectangular boards in my collection that mean something to me. Um, I, I had the privilege to build what what was named the the final prototype of the DCO one, which is still a split keyboard, but it's a very very cool split keyboard, and it was actually one of the things that first caught my eye when I was moving into the hobby was this awesome split keyboard that used magnets and pogo pins to connect its parts together that's and, curious yeah uh, and i i when I, I remember thinking i would never i would never build that i would never buy it it's you know it's a, a big chunk of metal that's very expensive and the early kits that i I bought being just made out of PCB material and clear acrylic. And, um, yeah. And look at you now. I've I've reached the point of of trust that Mechboards let me assemble the final prototype and test it and debug it, Um, which is is really, really cool. And I'm really honoured that they let me do that. Um, yeah, just a special again. Show is not sponsored, but just a, a big special shout out to David uh, in Macboards because of uh, you know all he does in UK. And you know, it, I had a I, I had a situation where I spoke uh, you know with David because I had uh, again that side of the corn that had the, the LEDs inverted. Um, you know, I I reached out to David saying, "Look, man, I you know." I didn't buy this from you guys, but uh, would you have to? Would you happen to have a split one of the sides that I would buy out from you guys that um, you know to to build? And he actually sent me one. So you know, big shout out uh, to to them. You know, really yeah. cool. I I'm very glad to have a, a really good relationship with them. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I am officially sponsored by them. So, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> so speaking about that then, um, we spoke uh, before it was 2020, now it's 2021. You know, the human malware is still here, but uh, again, going away. Hopefully things will get to normal. What's next for Tom in his journey on on keyboards? Or would you would we see any future board made by Tom? Anything that you're planning on? What What's next for you? So... Um, it's kind of weird to say it, but my first uh, commercial design went on sale this week. Um, a little guy called the Isopad, which is not original. It's not entirely original. It's an ISO Enter keycap-shaped uh, macro pad. Um, but my iteration of it being low-cost... 3D printed case. Okay, so then the one that you showed that I saw and I asked you to to give me a shout out and that you didn't when you were going to sell that. That one. Okay. <laughs> that, that then one. I need to spend money. I, okay, guys. I just See, now I just found out that I need to spend money. That's it. <laughs> that, that, yeah, it was kind of an accident that it went on sale. It started off as me learning KiCad um, PCB design software. Um, I've I've done sort of case design using Fusion 360 for 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 a while, um, but yeah, the, I'm I'm quite glad that went on sale. What I would really aspire to do is um, work my way up from macropads with onboard controllers and so on that are British designed, British made, um, and have them on sale for the the British community, which is really cool. Cool. Fantastic. Tom, nothing else that I can say, but thank you a lot for your time here. I really appreciate you joining the show. Um, Guys, if you are not familiar uh, yet with uh, with Tom's collection, I'm going to drop some links on the, on the show notes 
of uh, of Tom's um, you know small collection of split keywords. Let's put it this way. Um, and yeah, and we have a we have a Twitter account that you can follow to get any new episode uh, of the podcast immediately. You know, notified to, of it coming out. Uh, we also have an email address, thethalkpodcast.gmail.com, if you guys want to send us an email. I would appreciate your comments, feedback on the show, what you think. And again, Tom, once again, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me. No, it's a, it was a pleasure, man. It was a real pleasure. Guys, you have a good one.